0: Grab your Bible. I'm gonna do something a little special for you this morning. Look at that. Strong. That is special, right there. That's all you get. That's the show, folks. Let's see, let me try this other one. All right. This is Christmas Sunday, I'm wondering where we're gonna go. It's gonna be Matthew, Mark two. Where are we gonna go? Let's go to that place in your Bible where the pages are still stuck together. Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18. As you turn and pry your pages apart. You know, if you think about it, at some point, most of us in life, uh, we ask the big questions, right? At some point, we get to a place where we start to ask the big questions. Even if we don't voice them out loud in our hearts, even subconsciously, we uh, begin to ask questions like, where where in the world did, did I come from? Did we come from? Where are we going? Why are we even here? While we're here, why is it so bad? Uh, et cetera. Big, big questions that uh, we, throughout history, have not been able to come up with adequate answers in and of ourselves to. Without answers to these 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 mega questions, these, these big questions, um, we end up, like Solomon said, living a life that is just vanity. We just end up spinning our wheels, trying every other philosophy of men. When left to our own, about the best we can do is find seemingly the smartest person that we can find, uh, and that's always subjective, right? and uh, figure out what their theory on life is, and give it the best shot we can. That's about the best we can do, right? About 300 years before Jesus, a guy named Plato put it this way. He says, as we go through life uh, as a ship tossed in the wind, our best hope is to cling to the best ideas of humans. And that's really about it, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, that's, that's... the best advice, humanly speaking, we can give is find the smartest person you can, figure out what their theory on life is, where we've come from, where we're going, why we're here, what's going on in the middle, and, and, and try it out as best we can. If it doesn't work, try something else. And, and that's essentially the story of humanity, right? Is it, is in all of ourselves, we're just trying thing after thing after thing. The story of Solomon's testing of life. Plato went on to say, though, and I thought this second half of what he said was, was the most insightful. Uh, he said that we need to find that, that, that best idea of man and cling to it as we are like a ship tossed around by the wind, and then he went on to say, unless and here's the, here's the intuitive part: unless we have a more sure word from God, he says, isn't that good? Now, I wish I could have heard him say it and kind of got his tone, et cetera. It's kind of like an email as we, as we look back at some of these quotes. You can't really read tone into email or, you know, uh, volume, et cetera. I, I wonder how he said that, kind of jokingly, unless, you know, God, as if there is a God, is going to give us some word. Or if he, he had something in his conscience telling him, you know, there is a more sure word out there that we can depend on. I thought that was a very, very insightful word. And, and that's essentially... That's essentially our only hope, is to look for that sure word from God, lest we just go from thing to thing, spinning our wheels, living a life in vanity to vanity, uh, depending on the best laid plans of men. I'm not sure you realize it, but in Christmas we get that more sure word from God. you ever thought about it that way? In Christmas, in the incarnation, in Christ, in God coming to earth, putting on flesh, wrapping himself in flesh, we get A more sure, and frankly, we get a final word from God. Completely dependable, completely dependable. Let me show you in Deuteronomy 18 a great little section here. Maybe you've never seen it before. Deuteronomy 18 the nation of Israel uh, has, uh, well, they've been doomed to die in the wilderness. For those who have not trusted in God's faithfulness, God says, I'm not going to be faithful to you. A generation will die out, and I'll let the young folks, I'll let, I'll let the second string, I'll let the next generation go in and possess the land. And so we're in this time where we're waiting on the older folks to die. Included in that, mind you, is Moses, kind of the big dog leader, right? Aaron, kind of a big dog leader. Uh, Miriam, for the ladies. I mean, you're going to have all these leaders pass out. Pass away. They're going to be gone before the nation ever gets into the promised land. Well, Moses in Deuteronomy 18, knowing that this is going to be the case, knowing that the leadership as it is is not going to be there, and people are starting to ask questions. You know, if we're waiting around here until a generation dies out, who are we going to listen to? Where is this sure word from God going to come from when our current leaders are long gone? Where do we get our direction? Who do we follow? And in Deuteronomy 18 Moses gives some interesting words of caution to the generation who would find themselves in the promised land. Look at verse 9. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. And as we've been going through Ezra, you have a little better taste, I hope, of some of those detestable things that are going on in, in the land. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations verse 10 there shall not be found among you anyone who makes and you're going to get a list of things here that God says are off limits to God's people and these are very interesting you're not to be those who make your sons or your daughters pass through the fire, ones who use divination, ones who practice witchcraft, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who casts an evil spell or a medium or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. That's not to be a mark of the people of God. That's not to be uh, said of the people of God. He says that is common of the people that you're going to find in the land. That can't be you. You're not going to get your sure word from God through any of these means. Now, I want you to recognize that every one of these things that he, that he puts in this list here, they're all human efforts or human means at getting a word from God. Do you realize that? Do you see that? In each case, they're trying to solicit a word from God or a word from, let me say it this way, The divine. Because they, they started soliciting gods that were, were gods apart from Jehovah God, right? And so they are making every attempt, every human effort they can muster, figuring out every crazy way that they can solicit a communication from the divine, from the spirit world, from whatever they, whatever weird things they started tapping into there, okay? God says, that's not going to be the case for my people. In fact, look what he says, how he feels about those sort of things in verse 12. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. God's not going to put up with it. He does not delight in these things. In fact, none of those things impress God. Because these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. As a matter of fact, God doesn't only dislike them, they're not even going to work. To the point where they're just going to be dismissed. God is going to drive them out before the nation of Israel as they march into the promised land. You see, if they worked, they might have have been able to put up a better fight when the nation comes in. God doesn't respect them. He's not impressed by them. And frankly, they just don't work. Verse 13, you, on the other hand, you'll be blameless before the Lord your God. You don't need Any of those odd, spooky, weird, sitting in a cave in the lotus position, mumbling something to yourself. You don't need any of those strange ways that are common of the nation that you're going to find in your land. So let me warn you, don't adapt adapt to those things. Um, Again, each one of those things is an attempt to to learn from the divine, to get a word, to get a more sure word from the divine. And God says they're not going to work. In fact, he's going to tell us in the next verse that he has a, he has a different plan for the nation. Um, here's the deal. In each one of these cases, you find man uh, essentially building uh, their tower of Babel to the heavens, trying to... Trying to uh, communicate with the divine, trying to reach God. But it's, it's all from a, from a human standpoint. You see, it's from, it's from earth up. It's from man up. And if you know your scripture, you know that that's, that's never how it works. God never works that way. In fact, it's usually in the reverse. One scripture says, Who among man knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of man within him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Essentially what that says is that God has to reveal himself to us. God has to speak for us to know who he is. All these efforts on their part, humanly speaking, are not going to learn of who God is. So their attempts to to raise their level to God and to hear from the divine, uh, the response they get, whatever the response they get, whatever they feel like they learn about the divine, whatever they feel like they learn about God, God says, that's not me. So don't follow their ways because what they, their results come up with a false answer. The gods that they create through their divination, through their sorceries, through all this stuff, that's not me. That's not me. God says, I have to communicate to you who I am. If, if, there's, uh, if there's an attempt by you to get to know someone and you follow them around, you watch them, you might be able to learn some things about them. Maybe if you listen to them a little better. But until they speak to you, you really can't know them, can you? See, You need someone to speak to you. If you don't, then it's just all assumptions about who they are. And so these people were trying their best to hear from the divine. And uh, the answers they were getting weren't going to be enough for the nation of Israel. God says they're not going to be worth your time. Don't spend your life in this route god must reveal himself he must tell us who he is and the good news is uh folks he does uh, we tend to get bogged down as we read through the old testament sometimes because it's it's so detailed and it's so it's so elaborate in the details you know from from exodus 19 after the giving of the law all the way through deuteronomy you know you go through leviticus and you go through numbers a lot of times if you're doing that you know read through the bible in a year kind of deal Uh, You just you just start praying that you make it through some of these chapters and finally get to Joshua so that you can, you know, you understand things again. And we wonder sometimes, why is God so detailed about this stuff? Uh, Here's here's the thing. The Old Testament, the entire Bible, but the Old Testament specifically in these books that I've that I've just named, they were designed to teach the nation of Israel who God is and how they are to approach God. And that is not a guessing game from God's standpoint. There are not a whole bunch of ways that we can approach God, and we can't come up with our own answers about who God is. We can't create a God in our own image. We can't say, I think God should be like this, and I think God is like this, and I think I could approach God like this. And so God is extremely detailed, if you read your Old Testament, about how the nation of Israel is to approach him and about who he is. You know, you read about uh, the building of the tabernacle, you read about the building of the temple, you uh, you read about any of the things that God instructs this nation to do in regards to approaching him, worshiping him, or who he is, he leaves nothing to chance. You realize that? He leaves nothing to chance. You read about the tabernacle or the temple, right down to the curtain rings. He tells them exactly what they're to be made out of, how big they're to be, what the curtains are, uh, the length of the curtains to be, where they're supposed to hang them, what they're supposed to use to build the walls, the, 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 uh, the instruments that they're supposed to use in the tabernacle, in the temple, what the priests are supposed to wear, when the priests can go in, what priests can go in, what the priest is to do when they go in, which hand they're to use when they go in and do what they do when they go in, uh, who can't go in, what happens if you do go in, all this stuff. Do, do you, do you realize this? God never leaves any of this to chance. And that's frankly good news. He's not hiding who he is. But we can't just take any route. We can't just take any route. God must reveal himself and, and he's pleased to do so. Not just in word, but he'll do so in person. We're going to see in just a moment. Nothing about God or our approach to him is left suspect. In the New Testament... For to mention this earlier in worship, there is one way, there is one truth, there is one life. No one comes to the Father but by this one man. God is very specific when it comes to who He is and how we approach Him. None of these other ways are going to work out. So don't depend on them. If you do, just know that I see them as detestable and I will drive them out of the land. That's not going to be the way it is for us. For those nations, verse 14, which you shall dispossess, they listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. And we're going to get a contrast here. Those who are living in the land, they listen to these things. And when they listen, they get the wrong answers. That's the point. You, you're not going to listen. You're not going to listen like they do. In fact, you're going to listen to somebody else here. Look in verse 15. Let me show you what the source of our information is going to be. Verse 15, we listen to someone different. Not a mystic, not some spooky, uh, chanting spiritist. We listen to a human in the flesh. Verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up, underline the next two words, for you. Now you get a contrast here that you see all these All these things listed in 9, 10, and 11 that they are doing for themselves. They are trying to attain this this communication, this word from the divine. Trying to solicit God by their own human means and effort. God says, verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you. He'll do it. He'll do it. And he'll get the glory. Look at what he's going to raise up. He's going to raise up a prophet. A prophet like who? A prophet like me. And Moses is speaking from among you, from your countrymen. And you shall what? Listen to him. If you had to circle that and draw a line to the last verse, what would you pair it with? They listened to these sorcerers. We're not going to be like that. Let me tell you who you're going to listen to. You guys are worried Moses is going to be gone. uh, Aaron's going to be gone. What do we do? Who do we turn to? God says, I will raise up for you a prophet. And you're going to listen to him. The text tells us who this guy is. Uh, you know in the New Testament, if you're familiar with the book of John. John the Baptist, uh, several times in the New Testament during his life. Uh, the nation of Israel asks him, are you the Messiah? And he says, no. Are you, they said very specifically, are you the prophet? The one that was spoken of that would be like Moses. This guy, Deuteronomy. 18, are you that prophet? John says, no, I'm I'm not him. He's coming after me. text tells us who this guy is. He is, it says, like Moses. He is like Moses. And you know from your knowledge now of the New Testament that this prophet is Christ. This prophet who will come, who will be like Moses, is Christ. Now, I could spend the rest of this message telling you how Jesus is is like Moses, or more uh, accurately, how Moses is a type of Christ. Their whole lives, frankly, align. It would be very clear to those who would look back and look at the life of Jesus and look at the life of Moses and and to mark out the similarities. He is a prophet like Moses in many ways. But more than that, he's going to nail down one way that Jesus is like Moses. Look at the next verse, verse 16. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord. How is he like Moses? He's like Moses in this way. Remember all that you asked of the Lord, your God, in Horeb. That's another name for Mount Sinai. You remember when the nation of Israel was at Mount Sinai? Moses went up to the top of the mountain to get the law, right? Some of you got the whole picture of Charleston Heston there holding up the big stones with his Rolex watch on. They had to cut that out. But anyway... um, that's Mount Horeb. That's another name for Mount Sinai. And so he's flashing back here. He's flashing back. He's, he's a prophet like Moses. In what way is he like Moses? He's, he's like Moses because you remember back on Mount Sinai, at the day of the assembly, what you said? And here's what the nation said. Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore or I will die. You remember this story? Moses went up and uh, they were to stay at the base of the mountain. In fact, they were given strict orders not to even come near the mountain. And this cloud descends, and this thunderous voice is heard, and, and they can't see what's going on at the top of the mountain where Moses is face to face in the presence of God. But what they do, what they do see frightens them. And when Moses comes back down to check on them, you remember what they say? This is what they say. This is the quote. Listen, hey, you got to go up there and talk to that God. Whatever's going on up there, don't bring it down here. It says they were terrified. They were terrified. Now, later on in the story, Moses goes back up to the mountain and he tells God, listen, you're scaring the pants off these people. They're freaking out down here. You remember what God's response is? God's response in Deuteronomy 5 says, he says, Oh, that this would be the heart of the people forever. You have spoken well, Israel. And here's what this means. God says, You should be in awe of my glory. In fact, in the chapter before uh, the law is given in Exodus 19, uh, it said that uh, the nation is given parameters. The nation is given very strict parameters. Remember this, Preston? That God says, Don't come near to look upon the glory on the mountain. Because if you do, if you break in to see, to take a peek, God says, my glory will what? Will break out against you. You see, we can't handle in our flesh, in our sin, we can't handle that, that glory. We can't handle that presence of the holy, perfect God. So God, in, frankly, in his love says, stay back. And the nation says, we'll stay back. Moses, you go for us because we can't go. And God says, amen and amen. You can't go. You've said a good thing. You send one man on behalf of the whole nation. You know what they needed? They needed a mediator. They needed a substitute for the entire body. And God recognized that they got it, that they realized they couldn't stand before a holy god in their own sin and in their flesh as it was and they realized in their fear and in their trembling i've got to send someone on my behalf and god says yes that's good that's right oh that the nation would have that heart among them for the rest of their days of course we know they didn't it's been said in america especially you've heard this before that if uh a dignitary or uh, someone of great honor walked into this room, what would we do? The president walked in, current or elect. We'd stand, right? In America, that would be our custom. We would stand in honor of this person. right? That's, that's what we do. If, if, you're, if your favorite actor or your favorite uh, musician came in, you'd stand. right? You just pick whoever it is. We'd, we'd stand in honor and we'd clap and you know, we'd be dignified. But you've also heard it said that if, if God walked in, have you heard this? That if God walked in, we wouldn't stand in honor and dignity in our dignity, clap for the Lord. We'd fall to our knees. Is that right? Uh, I'd take it a little bit further than that. I'd take it a, a step further. Uh, I would not be standing here, okay? You would not be sitting there. There would be no kneeling. Frankly, we would be on our face, trying to get under the carpet. It was said in Scripture of guys like Daniel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and John and even Moses, I think, that when they were in the presence of God, have you seen these passages? That when they were in the presence of God, they fell to the ground. You know what it says they fell to the ground like? They fell as if dead men. And I always get the picture when when I read those passages that they just kind of fall like, you know, that they're, playing dead like there's this grizzly bear about to attack right that's the picture that when the holiness the presence of god is around we don't clap we don't even kneel frankly we we fall and we hide our face we get as low as we possibly can because what we know and what israel knew at least in that moment on mount horeb is that the holiness of god uh, it's a consuming fire did you see what it said? Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. in the end of verse 16, they understood that the God of all creation is a consuming fire. To walk into His presence would be like walking into an incinerator. I always get tickled at uh, people who who uh, sing that old song, uh, the old hymn. I don't remember the name of it. One day I'm going to have a little talk with Jesus it's not the it's not the god it's not the God that uh they ran into on Mount Horeb It's not the God that uh, scripture says one day one day every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to we have uh we have a good bit of audacity when we think about the God when we think about the God that we've created in our own hearts and in our own mind. We've conjured up our own God if we've if we've we've been conjurers like these sorcerers like these like these uh, those who would cast spell, these mediums, these spiritists, we conjure up a God for our own liking that fits our best ideas about who God is and how we can approach Him. We need to remember verse twelve that the Lord sees these things as detestable, and He will drive us out from before Him. Yet, however, I might add, if you've done like Israel at Mount Horeb and you've cried out for someone to go between and insulate you from that fire, then you can stand and rejoice in the presence of that same holy creator God. If like the nation of Israel on Mount Horeb, we cry out for that mediator, well, we've done well. Why? Because we would have listened to that prophet sent by God. Song, Christmas song has been sticking in my mind all week. Joy to the world. As I think about this passage, as I think about what it means, the birth of Christ, the coming of this prophet like Moses, it is joy coming to our world. The nation of Israel was looking for this man, waiting and watching for this man. That he would be joy to the nation. He is joy to our world. The Lord through this babe has come. Let earth receive her king. That's a prayer I think. May earth receive her very king. Here's the next phrase that's stuck in my mind. Let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. Make room. For the prophet, make room for the prophet. All heaven and nature sing. Not only is he our mediator, but at the coming of this prophet, he, frankly, he exposes to us who this God is. You want to know who this, who this deity is? God says, you look to this man and you listen to him, and you'll learn everything you need to learn about me. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His, what? Glory. Because of the dwelling, we saw His glory. For of His faithfulness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through who? Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has, last phrase says, he has in his coming, in his dwelling in flesh, he has explained him to us. Isn't that a great picture? That this this babe, this coming of the prophet like Moses, who we should listen to instead of listening to all the other ideas of man that would lead to nowhere, by the way, that God detests, we embrace this prophet. We listen to him. Not only is he our mediator, his life, his person explains the God in heaven. Hebrews says he is the exact representation of the Father. Colossians says he is the image or literally the icon of the invisible. This child, this prophet who comes that we celebrate at Christmas, he, he exposes, he exegetes the God. Why do we need Christmas? He's our mediator and he is our final word on who God is and how we approach the God. He is our mediator and he is God's final word on who God is and how we approach this God. All wrapped up in the person of Christ. This incarnation, this incarnate, the in the flesh, the dwelling of God. I thought of a story, Matthew 17. You don't have to turn there. Let me just remind you of it. Matthew 17, it's just after Jesus has exposed to his disciples. He's, he's made them well aware that he is he is he is the messiah you remember he asks them in matthew 16 who, who do people say that i am who do you say that i am and they give them the different options they give them the different answers and uh, finally they come to the point where they where they seem to get it that you are the son of the living god and then he he really throws them a curveball he says after that you remember what he says he says that's right and i'm going to go to my death and peter's like no that's that's not the plan that's not the plan. You know, what do you do when, when the disciples realize that this is, this is the Messiah? This is the prophet like Moses that we were told about of old. That the law spoke of, that the prophets prophesied about. This is him. Yes. You're going to die? No. You remember what Jesus does in Matthew 17? Great, great little, little interlude to the life of Christ. He takes his men up on a mountain. You remember what the story is? It's the transfiguration. And in the moment where where they're confused, they don't know where to go, they don't know what's next, he says, here's who I am. And he goes up on this mountain and and he, in a sense, just unzips his humanity. And the passage says that his face shone like the sun and his garments like white, bright white linens, which, by the way, was a quote of Daniel. And every one of the Jews would have known that was a quote of Daniel. They would have recognized this guy is the Messiah. And then the voice of the Lord comes down. but Right before the voice of the Lord comes down, you remember what happens? Is that Peter and James and John, they see that Jesus isn't the only one standing there in this, in this glorious light. There's a couple more guys there. Remember who they were? Moses and Elijah are standing there. And Peter has this bright idea. As Peter has a lot of bright ideas. He says, Lord, this is, it's great to be here. You remember this? It's great to be here. Why don't you let me build a few tents? I'll build one for you. I'll build one for Moses. And I'll build one for Elijah. And we can just stay right up here. And, it, and the passage says that as he was speaking, God just interrupts poor old Peter. As he was speaking, this voice descends from the clouds, this booming voice. and says, listen. And he quotes three more Old Testament passages that every Jew would know, and it would it, it would nail them down to the Messiah. He says, This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son, Proverbs 2. In whom I am well pleased, Isaiah 42. And you know what the last phrase is? I give you a hint. We've been talking about it for the last 30 minutes. Listen to him, Deuteronomy 18. Listen to him. Who is this guy? Peter, James, and John. It's the prophet. The one who has spoken that would come like Moses. The passage goes on to say in Matthew 17 that, um, that the men at this point now, uh, they're not celebrating. They fall on their face and they're terrified. And Jesus goes over and taps them on the shoulder and says, Have no fear. And it says that these men look up and what they see is, not Moses, they don't see Elijah. They see Jesus, the passage says, they say Jesus himself alone. He's all that's left. He's all that's matters. God says, boys, this is the one. Don't worry about the rest. The law and the prophets are fulfilled in this guy. They fall on their face. They tremble. The mediator says, don't be afraid. They see Jesus left alone. What a, what a great... What a great story. What do we do with this babe in swaddling clothes? Let me give you one more. Let me give you one more verse from Deuteronomy 18. Look at verse 19 and we'll be done. Deuteronomy 18 verse 19 says this. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words. This is God speaking. Which he shall speak in my name. That's the prophet to come. Shall speak in God's name. That means he has all authority of the Godhead. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Let me tell you what that means. Verse 19 essentially says that this prophet has complete authority of the Godhead. He is essentially in person an ambassador of the king of all the earth. And in this one verse, he gives us one one of the greatest warnings of all history. He's going to speak my words, and let me, give you, let me give you a caution. Listen to him. To all those who will not listen to this ambassador. There's a story in the Old Testament of David sending his ambassadors to uh, the king of Ammon. And they thought that he was that he was trying to spy out their land and, and take it. And, and David had David had peace in mind. David had good deeds in mind. And he sends these ambassadors. You remember what they did with him? You remember what the Ammonites do with them? They shave half of their beards. The beard is, is part of the uh, dignity of, uh, of a Hebrew. They shave half their beards and they cut their tunic off at waist high. So they're exposed. They embarrass these guys. They humiliate them and they send them back to David. Now, what do you think David, the king of all the earth at that time, does when his messengers sent with peace? What do you think, what do you think that king does? Well, he wipes them out. He makes that place a parking lot, one pastor said. You see, that's not not acceptable. Now, if that's the king of all the earth, and that's his human ambassadors, what do you think the king of all the universe will do when his ambassador, the prophet, like Moses, is sent with a word of peace? with a with a peace treaty in hand. What do you think that king will do if, verse 19, if when he comes, they do not listen to the words he speaks in my name? The end of the verse tells us, if you don't accept the peace treaty that my ambassador will bring, Jesus, through this babe in a manger, if you don't receive him, look at what it says, the father says, then I will require it of him. You get the picture? You reject the ambassador. You reject my messenger who comes with a, with a treaty of peace, with an opportunity of peace. You reject him. Then what happens? Then war breaks out. And the Godhead declares war on all those who would reject his son. You reject the Son, you reject the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. All those who reject me, reject the Father. You pass on the peace treaty. Then you have to stand before this God who was on Mount Sinai one day and the whole nation said, we don't want to go anywhere near him. We have to walk alone into the incinerator that is the presence of a holy God. a joy to the world the lord has come let earth receive this king let every heart prepare him the room he deserves the coming of this prophet in a manger the one who would, who would fulfill the law and the prophets the one who would fulfill Deuteronomy 18 he comes bringing that peace treaty that is joyous news for all of us who've received that treaty we celebrate this time of year and we look not just at that babe and we don't just we don't just all over him and say oh how cute and we don't just ponder the nativity thinking what a great special time what we see is the prophet the prophet who has come who brings joy who is that mediator like Moses, who is that substitute like Moses on Mount Sinai. Oh, that we would have the heart like Israel on Mount Sinai, on Mount Horeb, to say, God, we don't want any part of you on our own. We're going to keep our distance. Would you receive this one who is going on my behalf? With the coming of the child, we have our mediator. We celebrate our substitute. He is the prophet.